Fader Hypothesis is a Malegio Digital production. If you're interested in making business content with interest or want to tell your story in a future episode, you can contact us at info at Hi, my name is Vivian Chan, and you're listening to The Failure Hypothesis. Over the course of this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to some of the most interesting leaders from all around the world, from Brazil to the UK, from India to America, all about failure. We'll be testing the simple hypothesis that radical honesty about failure is the secret to success. But is it really that simple? Sometimes, is it better to just keep moving forward? Why can't we just think like a rocket scientist when it comes to failure? To help us find out the answer to these questions and more, we've assembled a dream team of guests that includes the chief scientist of a global tech company, the president of a major record label, a private equity titan, and a Webby award-winning podcaster. For new listeners who want to learn more about the failure hypothesis and the timeless mission to get the leaders of today and tomorrow all talking more openly about failure, please check out episode one, wherever you get your podcasts. Today's guest is the founder of a phenomenally successful startup with one of the most unique origin stories you're ever likely to hear. He and his fellow founders turned his father's unusual career change into a globally recognized brand and multi-million dollar business. They did this with no investors, zero capital, and providing their product for free. Just a great idea and individual talent combined with savvy marketing and branding. It is a track record that would turn most founders green with envy and have investors reaching for their checkbooks. I'm not talking about a hot news tech startup today, but a podcast which has been described by the Sunday Times as a cultural phenomenon. That podcast is called My Dad Wrote a Porno. And the creative visionary behind it, writer, producer, director, Jamie Morton is my guest today. Hi, how's it going? Good. It's exciting being on another pod. I know, this is great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Let me start off with some amazing jaw-dropping stats. Oh, God. (laughs) Just a little 350 million download. Critically acclaimed HBO special. Live performances seen by over 100,000 people with venues like the Royal Albert Hall and Sydney Opera House. Oh, I'm Australian, sorry. (laughs) Um, The first non-American podcast to win the Oscars of the podcast world. The prestigious Webby Award. Celebrity fans like Dan Levy and Emma Thompson. Um, And the list goes on and on and on. So I'm just going to keep that one short, if that's okay. Oh, thanks, yeah, I'm getting all blushed over here. No, it's exciting Um, to hear it back. It is no exaggeration to say that porno has been part of a vanguard of shows that has revolutionized the podcast industry. Less well-known is Jamie's work as an in-demand digital producer, working on projects ranging from The X Factor to Vice documentaries. He's been at the cutting edge of digital entertainment since his early days, and there hasn't always been an easy place. And that's what we're going to find out a little bit more today. As a relative newcomer in the podcast world, it is my honor to have you as a podcast royalty like Jamie on the show. And I'm delighted to be able to give our listeners a chance to hear an incredible story. So, shall we? Let's go. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> 
So welcome to the show, The nice. Failure Hypothesis. And so today we're really going to just listen in and explore a little bit of your world and what you want to share about failures. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to go back? Oh, I'm ready. Come on. <laughs> I'm strapped in. So where do you want to start? Well, um, I guess I should really start at university. That's when my, my kind of creative journey started, as it were. Um, because I didn't, I didn't have a great time at school. I kind of was a little bit of an oddball. And then when I went to university and did a creative degree, I met so many amazing... Where did you go? I went to the University of Leeds, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Yeah. And immediately joined the student TV station, which is pretty geeky. Uh, was it I'm always your passion? Geek. Um... Creating, st- I didn't actually know at that time what I wanted to create in terms of a medium. I just wanted to tell stories, really. Yeah. And I figured that university was a great place to explore and experiment and meet like-minded people, you know, exercise your creative muscles in new ways. And that was really kind of, even more than the, the course, was why I wanted to go to university, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I was lucky. I was, I, was, I was the last year that got in before top-up fees in this country. So I kind of could justify going financially. Um, and yeah, so joined the student TV station, made loads of really terrible student television. Um, <laughs> That's the fun of it. Exactly. And, but like really learned my craft, learned what I was doing, learned how to edit, shoot, direct, everything, and met loads of creative people, two of whom were Alice and James, who I would 10 years later go on to make my dad write a porno with. So uh, it was a really fruitful time for me. Um, and it was kind of a real high point in my life that and I guess it's true of everyone at that age you think anything's possible right yeah, you know you yeah. you, you yeah, think I, yeah <laughs> and you have that naivety of youth and you think I can just do anything um and so when I graduated I moved to London got a really cool job pretty pretty quickly and I thought oh I've trained that's the hard bit right going from university to work that's the, that's that bumpy kind of transition that people kind of get a little bit lost in and I was like I've nailed that this is great (laughs) and then everything kind of came crashing down uh and I kind of became a husk of a man to be honest with you (laughs) yeah but you know it's all good now yeah well let's dive into a little bit of that if that's okay yeah absolutely so why did it go down so I um, I was really lucky because I graduated in 2008, which, I mean, that was the financial crash year, which wasn't great. But it was also a time where the media industry was really diversifying and a lot of new content was kind of being invested in for the first time, namely digital content. And they really needed people who could, who had a, who had a broad skill set, basically, who could shoot, edit, produce, direct distribute even market you kind of had to be a bit of everything and my experience at university making all these shows was the perfect kind of background to go into a company and say right I can make something for your digital platform for x amount of money and we were pretty lucky in that James Alice and I um all got a a job together the first job we ever got yeah the first uh, the same uh show um, I don't know if you remember a little social network called Bebo. Oh, Vivian, maybe, do you remember that? Are you maybe. old enough? Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> I think I remember the logo. Yeah, it was yeah. it was kind of the forefather yeah. to Facebook and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And it was huge in Ireland, uh, weirdly. Why? Uh, I don't know, but they loved it. And it was like a lot of our audience was Irish. Um, and, and actually, to be fair to, to, 
Tobibo at that time, they really heavily invested in online content and online original content. Like they made their own TV shows, they made their own magazine shows. And we were commissioned through a company called RDF to make a kind of kids magazine show basically called Beatbox. Um, which was fun. It was really fun. It was yeah. a really fun it's job. A great job, right? Yeah. <laughs> the um, project sounds amazing. It was, re- and I, do you know what? Actually, the the, the foreshadowing of Beatbox was actually a show called um, A Message from Earth, which was what we actually got hired to do, which was like a a four a, like a, a four month contract of. Um, compiling loads of messages that Bebo users had sent in that we were going to then send into space oh. to the nearest planet to Earth that could <laughs> conceivably hold life called Gliese 581C. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, and so we went to the Ukraine as like a little <laughs> team of, there were like six of us, and we went to a big telescope in Ukraine and we beamed these messages in binary form into space. They're still on their way there now, actually. So This is not a marketing campaign. It, I don't know what it was. Honestly, our boss was like this mad genius. He's called Ollie Magic. He's wonderful. He lives in Australia now, actually. Um, and he it was his kind of brainchild. I'm not sure what he wanted to get out of it so much as just having fun and talk to it yeah kind of become a news story in 20 years when we are at war with Gleaser 581c um you sent me (laughs) exactly but that but that was a kind of a successful project for Bebo and they decided to use that team to then make a magazine show called Bebox Mm -hmm. which was really successful and did really really well and it was really fun it was stressful it was hard work it was 20 weeks on this on the uh as as a as a run and I was shooting it editing it every week and had the best time. Alice and James were the presenters of it because they are very good at that sort of thing. Um, and it was just the best job in the world. And I met loads of cool people and got very drunk and just had the best balance of... Work-life balance. Yeah. And, and for the first time in my life, I had money in my, in my, in my pocket, yeah. but I still had that kind of university mentality of let's go out, let's meet people, let's like, you know, have fun. In, in this new city, in, in, in London, the place that I'm from Manchester, I'd always dreamt of living in London and, yeah, and yeah. succeeding in You're London. like, I've made it. Yeah, <laughs> completely. And so B-Box ended um, and they were like, we want to recommission it. And we were like, yes, this is great. And so we all had like a month off and we were going to come back and do season two. How long was the whole first season? It was about 20 weeks. So yeah. Yeah, okay. Quite a long slog, yeah. but fun. Um, and I was young enough to be able to do that. Just thinking back to the way I lived my life then actually is ex- exhausting. Um, there was one month when I didn't ever not go out for a night. Yeah. And I still went and did my work. That it was is insane. Intense. Yeah. Uh, it really was. Um, but but in this kind of month hiatus, uh, Bebo was uh, bought by, a- I think it was AOL. I could be wrong. Um, and they, in their wisdom, saw no future in online content. Isn't that insane? And so they they canned everything, and they said, oh, "We're that not." One month I yeah. Off. So when we were away, they basically decommissioned the whole online content division of Bebo, and we got a phone call from the production manager and said, "Yeah, you're Don't out of job." Back. Yeah. Heartbreaking. And that was the moment when I was like, "Oh fuck, <laughs> I I have to actually get a job because it had been <laughs> such a smooth transition that it was so fun, and I was like, "Oh crap." This is the now? hard bit now. What uh-huh. do I do? How am I going to pay my rent? I need to, you know, do something that wasn't what I expected. 
Um, and so that was kind of when things started to take a bit of a turn. But Alice and James were in the same boat with you, right? They were in the same boat. Alice was very ambitious and she, towards the end of Bebox, had kind of felt that she wanted to pursue presenting properly. Um, And so she'd got herself an agent and she was starting to do some stuff. So she was fine, actually. And she became very successful very quickly because she's super talented. Um, And James was... um, because he was the producer or one of the producers of Beatbox, he found it easier to transition into the workforce. Whereas with me, I was a shooter editor. I didn't have any contacts really in the industry. Everything that I was going to be doing would be really short-term contracts anyway. There wasn't kind of a place to work on a production. And, and, there, and there just wasn't the appetite or the basically the, the infrastructure yeah. To, to, yeah. to support digital production. So I had no credits in actual TV. So it was really hard to kind of find my place in that burgeoning industry. And it's, it's really interesting now seeing how digital content has exploded and it's all anybody wants. And it's how people consume everything now. But back in 2008, nine, like it was really primitive and there were no budgets and there was no belief. And there was, you know, we were really seen as like pests, you know, like like pesty kind of like little flies on productions and people were like, why are, we, why are you here? Get out of our way. You're being really annoying. And we're like, we're actually here to do a job. It's quite important. Um, so I, I, I just kind of scratched myself a living and just did everything and anything. I mean, I remember doing, I mean, literally anything. I, <laughs> there, was one, there was one job that I did. I had to go to Camberley which I couldn't even point to that on a yeah, map. Where is that? I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> I had to go to Camberley to film um, signage in a shopping centre for a, for, a, for a brand. And I had to like, because <laughs> I didn't have any kicks. I was like 21. So it's like hire in a camera and get a train down there and like shoot this stuff. And then obviously once I paid all of my costs, I think I might have made like 50 quid. And like, and it was just days like that for like two years, and there were a few bigger jobs, and there were a few, you know, things that were more <laughs> high profile, or you know, actually making something of worth. But a lot of it was kind of that sort of short term stuff, which you know, I'm obviously very grateful for, but it wasn't really the sort of stuff that I had envisaged producing yeah. when I set out. Not the same passion graduating you know from university, yeah that you know, was thinking about. yeah I was there with my first class honours degree thinking come on <laughs> bring on no one ever in. asked me if I even went to university let alone what I got I was like this yeah. is a scam what is this <laughs> this is supposed to be worth something um it's because I pursued a completely uh you wearing that creative when you went up you know wore a first class degree if you want to film signage in a shopping center get a first class <laughs> honors degree here. that's what you need you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and you know and I was so you're a bit lost I was yeah and it was hard and you know I had no money and I had no kind of... It was just hard to kind of transition mentally into like, okay, I'm doing this for now and that's fine. And I'm obviously in my early 20s. But how do I get to the point where I want to be, which is making my own stuff? And so I I actually started writing um, a project with my my friend Tom, who is still my writing partner to this day. and, And that was a real kind of anchor in my life at that point of... Even though it didn't really... You know, we we didn't really have any expectation of it going anywhere in terms of it, of it even being commissioned. It was a TV show, 
it was just something to kind of put our creative energy into yeah. and having something to motivate ourselves and just having that kind of consistent project that was outliving any of our day-to-day work because he was also struggling in TV and he was more successful than I was at that time but we were both kind of just working out what the hell we could do um and I remember and this little project was like after work on the weekend yeah absolutely if we were working then it would be after work if not it was just you know the the days and the weeks that we were existing um and we worked really hard on it actually it's funny, we, we actually re-looked at it the other day and we were like, this isn't actually terrible. <laughs> uh, even though it was like 10 years ago. Um, and How long was that little, that project that that went for? Oh, we, 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 we did that for like five years. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was really fun. It was, it, it was more just to kind of keep us sharp, really. Yeah. And also to do something together and to yeah. kind of... Be, be be creative in a time that we felt we had no outlet the to outlet be creative. Um, but I remember we were we were sat writing it one day um, in his flat in Brixton, and I got a call from uh, someone that I I didn't actually used to work with them, but I, I knew them through somebody that I used to work with, um, who said that they were they they just commissioned a brand new comedy show like a sitcom. Uh, that was starring two of my, honestly, two of my biggest comedy idols uh, from an American TV show that I was just obsessed with. Me and Wack were, sorry, Wack, Tom Wackett, my writing partner, Wack. We were both obsessed with it. And um, and so she called me and she was like, you know, we're looking for someone to do the, the kind of like the EPK stuff, the kind of behind the scenes stuff, the interviews and all that sort of thing. Um, would you be up for doing it? And I was like, oh my God. God, yes, I would absolutely kill for this opportunity. Thank you so much. Um, and I said, can I get a, an assistant to kind of help me with my shoot? And uh, she said, yeah, of course. So I got whack on board and we were like, oh my God, we're going to you know, meet our idols. We're going to work on this amazing show. Um, and so we were, we were told to be somewhere. The first day filming was on, on, it was on location, actually, I remember. And, and we had no real access. So it was just kind of like, I was just like grabbing stuff filming stuff but not really knowing what I was really capturing so I was like you know we'll just first day ease in be in awe of these two amazing people and I remember I was what between shots they were kind of improving a line for part of the script and I just was like this is just being up close and personal with like these two titans of comedy like work seeing how they work together and it was just the most amazing day and it was like really exhilarating and being well just like can you believe that we've like been on, on a set with these people. We were like 22 or whatever. It was so cool. Um, and then the next day, we I think we, we must have had a, a day off because uh, it was a Friday the next day, I remember. And I, I got a phone call at like lunchtime from the person that had called me up about the job and she basically um, fired me over the phone. Yeah. And I was like... But did she say that the huh. show was continuing? And you don't oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The show was hugely successful. It was me that was shit. Uh, <laughs> she basically was like, look, it's not working. Like, the rushes have been sent to the post house. I don't think it's good enough. Which, you know... Yeah, but you had no guidance. You didn't know what Well, this showing. is the thing. And I was 22 years old. And I and, and this was a good lesson for me to learn, actually. Because, because I'd had this background in digital production and I was kind of filming it, editing it, I would be shooting knowing how it was going to cut together in my head. So I would shoot accordingly and I would leave the camera running when I was like going from setup to setup. 
and what I learned was that when you work in a real industry like this, you shoot something and then you give it to somebody else to put together. They don't know what what you've been imagining in your head. They can't cut together your vision. All they can do is say, what the fuck is all this shit? This is a load of crap. (laughs) And to be fair, they they, they were right. It, It was really badly filmed, but I was also like, you know, can... Can, I do can, can you give it? me like yeah. a second chance? Like, let's have like tell me everything I'm doing wrong. And they were like, no, no, no. And <laughs> I, I, I got really desperate on this because I was like, not only is this a huge opportunity for me personally, creatively, I really needed the money. Like, I was really, really skinned. Like, I mean, beyond poor. We were living in this tiny house in Tooting. There were a million of us in it. My bedroom was like in the old dining room. It didn't even have a door that closed oh, properly. One of those it was, renovations. yeah. And I was like, I need. And I, I remember our rent was four hundred and forty-four pounds a month. I remember for the whole uh, house. No, each. They oh, were making what? an absolute fucking killing out of us. Yeah, outrageous when you think about it. It was a t- yeah. Anyway, but I just was like, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. Like yeah. this is, yeah. and I and I was begging with her on the phone. I was like, please, please. I was crying. I mean, really humiliating. And she she said to me, she was like, look, this is really hard for me. And I was like, I'm sure it is. And I'm, and I'm sure it is difficult firing people. I would hate to fire someone. But like, I'm pretty sure it's harder to be the person that's being fired than the person doing the firing. And it just was really kind of sobering. And just, and just the finality of it, of just like, no... No, like there's nothing I could do it was taken completely out of my hands I couldn't even you know say I'd okay can I just do the next couple of days for free and then and if it's not working then then okay or it just was a complete shutdown and it just for me led me into this spiral of just I mean if I'm being fired from when you from have this, such high expectations right yeah, I thought oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be great. This is like my dream job, and it was for a day, and then I got fired. It felt personal in a way yes. that nothing up so until that point had because this was about my performance. This wasn't about a show not getting renewed, or it wasn't about you know something not coming back for another season or whatever. This was about me failing to deliver, and I take my you know my craft, my creative tools like incredibly seriously like Mm -hmm. and I've got a really strong work ethic and I felt like I was doing the best I could and for it to not only be not good enough but to be actively detrimental to a production which it clearly was if they weren't even going to give me a second chance like really kind of hit home to be like right I'm pretty lost here and I just remember hanging up the phone after begging and crying just I mean full humiliation I was that desperate because I've got quite I have a certain amount of self-respect believe it or not um and I I just went like balls to the wall like I don't care what you think of me in this moment I need this so badly emotionally financially you know creatively everything that I, I, I and and she just hung up the phone and I just remember looking out of the window and just thinking I'm fucked I'm literally fucked because I didn't have any work coming in I was clearly shit at the work that I was doing that was I, your narrative right? That, right that was the narrative that you were playing sure, yourself sure exactly yeah. and I just 
I just broke down and I just was like, this is awful. It was a friend's birthday party that night and I didn't go. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, how bad yeah. it was. I don't well, not go to parties. I, like, you don't know. Like, I will, if there's a drink and a You'll person, there. I'm there. Yeah. Um, and one of my housemates at the time just took me out in the garden and he was like trying to console me. And I, and, and I was like, it's not about this. I mean, it is about this one job, but it's also not about that. It's about the the two years that had been running up to that and just feeling completely like I was pushing my dreams up a hill. But at least I felt that those dreams were valid. And it was like having them just like, not only just fall down the hill, but like run me over on the way down there. And it's like, there's only so much kind of self-belief you can have until you start thinking, well, am I the delusional person here? Am I good at this? Because I believe I have talent, but if I if, if I don't, and if everything around me is telling me that I don't, then am I just like one of those delusional people on the X Factor that can't sing, but thinks they can, and are shocked when they're told that they're tone deaf? Am I that person? There's a very thin line between ambition and self-belief and delusion. Mm-hmm. And I was... Those lines got completely blurred to me in that moment. And I was like, I... I don't get it, do I? I, And then it's like, well, this is embarrassing that you think that you can do this. But isn't that really interesting, right? Because it is actually from what I was hearing and it's wholly, I've not exactly in the same situation, mm. but as entrepreneurs, we go through this and I feel like, one of, you know those games at, at, at like time zone and stuff, those little hedgehogs come up yeah, and someone yeah, yeah. keeps bopping you down. Yeah, I yeah. feel like that happens all the time whenever you feel like it. And because your story was that you were working so hard yeah. in the last two years trying to make me, uh, you know, ends meet, mm. having this other creative side on your project, you know, building stuff up and you were actually shaping who you were. Yeah. Right. You were shaping yourself as yeah, an identity. Who I was. Exactly. Yeah. And that was all tied up with that. Yeah. Struggle and that self-perception of who I was. It was being defined by the work I was doing or not doing or wanting to be doing. And when it was told that it wasn't good Good enough, enough. I wasn't good enough. You took it very much like, yes, exactly. Yeah. And that is funny how the world works like that, right? Mm. Especially with the creative industry. But also I would say even for any kind of like, especially say investors and um, other kind of like business leaders in Mm. that sense, where often you seek approval when you're thinking, hang on, this is who I am. My passion is this. Yeah. So therefore, it's not just about work. It is me yeah, as an identity. it's not work. It's, it's who me you are. As, yeah, yeah, Jamie, right? Yeah. And for someone to tell you, nah, you're not good enough. Yeah. You're <laughs> no, not even that, worth a but, second chance. Yeah, exactly. You're literally exactly. worth nothing. With not any guidance, no sh- constructive feedback, nothing. Just yeah. like... Nah, I just don't like you. Like, it yeah. felt like that, right? It, yeah, it, it, it really did. And, and I was, you know, I was really, well, I was clinically depressed then for a long time, like maybe like two years, yeah. um, which how, was really hard. Yeah. And how, how did you kind of navigate through that? Well, I was in denial for a long time. Uh, my friends were amazing at kind of like trying to hold me together. but it, And it, it got so bad that I just began to like destroy every relationship in my life really until you're just shutting people out yeah until I then you know sought professional help which was wonderful but it just it kind of it was just that it was a straw that broke the camel's back for me to be like I don't believe in myself I'd always had self-belief I don't know where it came from 
I guess, you know, a secure family and, you know, whatever. But, like, it was the first time that that had really just been not only shaken, but just kind of demolished. And it felt really like there was no way back. Mm-hmm. I remember flying to, um, my parents were on holiday and they were like, why don't you come out and see us? And I was like, uh. And my friend Lee, he, my housemate at the time, he called them and he was like, just to pre-warn you, he's in a pretty dark place. And bless him for doing that. Because I think they needed that heads up and they were a bit like ooh okay so they haven't seen you in this no they'd never seen me like that and they'd always kind of I've got three sisters and there's me and 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 they kind of always assumed that I would be kind of self-sufficient and I was and it was all fine but I think there comes a point where you confront for so long until you just don't have the energy to front anymore and it and it was them seeing that and being like oh okay maybe we need to just uh divert some attention to this one because um, the self-confidence that you have and that you were exuberating to everyone that's what your yeah. family remembers you as right yeah exactly and and that's so much a part of it as well you know there is there is an expectation in the in the media industry that you know you you especially as a freelancer you know you have to be on your a game every single day oh, yes. you don't get a day off to be like i'm hungover today or i'm a bit ratty today or whatever like it is your first day at school every day of your career and that's really hard to sustain like it's yes. it's really not a healthy way to 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 present yourself because everyone has bad days and you shouldn't constantly be having to prove your worth every single day to a whole new group of people with wildly differing expectations of you but that's that's the industry it's a privilege to work in it and and I think you know you're somewhat aware of that when you start out but it becomes incredibly clear quickly as you kind of navigate your way through an industry that is so overly subscribed that you know that if you fuck up for one day you're out you know yeah. there's always somebody else who can Which do means your job it's very hard to find the authentic outlets of channels and support groups right? absolutely and everyone who is your friend in the industry is also a competitor in a weird exactly. way you know and it's like that's very lonely yeah i mean yeah it, it can be i think what it, it kind of really said to me was that you have to start making your own future in a creative sense and you know and I'd started doing that with with Tom with with our show that we were writing but you know we were in our early 20s that was never going to get picked up realistically but it was just something that we wanted to do to exercise that muscle but it kind of once I started to kind of pick myself up a bit more and and understand and kind of accept my own failings in the three years that led up to that breakdown was to be like you need to take responsibility for yourself this is an industry that you can make your own luck if you work hard enough and you apply yourself and so it kind of became increasingly clear that my pathway to success and meaningful success for me was making something on my own terms because I was like there's one person that can't fire me and that's me <laughs> I was like, well, let's uh, let's try and make something that can, you know, sustain not only my, my creative ambition, but also a lifestyle. And I love it. I love how the mentality shifted. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. No one else can fire me except me. Yeah, <laughs> which means I just need to create the platform to make me shine yeah which right. sounds so easy doesn't it it's like yeah. well, hang on let's create something that i could do and then you're like oh fuck i could actually do that what the fuck could that be um 
And it did take a while, you know. My dad wrote Pornover, what, that started in 2015. So it took a long time to kind of find the right vessel. So I was trying different things, like making stuff, like writing stuff. But before you were through through that journey when you were still a little bit lost, mm-hmm. you were talking about therapy and yeah. your friends. Yeah. Um, and are you open to share a little bit more about how therapy helped with that? Yeah, uh, sure. I mean everyone's pathway is different and their own I think I realized that I had associated a lot of my personal success through my professional success mm-hmm. and I was I'm a very ambitious person and I'm a very creative person and those two things are quite different mm-hmm. when you have such high expectations of yourself it's really hard to meet those expectations when they're all that is motivating you they are what your self-worth is built on and I think for me like failing and and not even failing but just not succeeding in a way that was by my standards your expectations yeah was defining my whole life which was really unhealthy and I'm not sure I still don't know where that comes from that's the ambition right you kind of need that you do and you and and it and it is drive and it's and you can't achieve without it but I had an unhealthy relationship with it it was it was way too defining of who I was I was like I can't be happy until I've achieved xyz and they weren't even tangible things it was it was almost the feeling of of success it it could look like nothing to somebody else but if if I defined that as a successful moment in my life, that would be what would nourish me to to live a happy life, and that isn't yeah healthy. So in, yeah, you were thinking that success was a destination mm. as opposed to the journey. And until you have it, you don't realize that actually it doesn't exist in any real way, and you'll always be chasing it. And that's a good thing. We should be chasing ourselves, and we should be pushing ourselves, and we should be constantly trying to better ourselves. So yeah, I learned that. And, and and from that amazing and thank you for being so open. No, it's for, fine. on that story. And in a way now in hindsight, do you feel like it you had to go for it in order to achieve the successes you have now? I think so. I think that like I think it's interesting, you know, I learned so much about myself, not not only my craft and and it, and it, it well, it made me be better on a technical level, it made me mm-hmm. sharper. So I was like, well, I obviously have to address why I was let go from this opportunity. So I got better on that level. But I also think I understood how much being successful meant to me. And I understood that it is something that I need. Like, not everyone has that desire. Like, I have friends who 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 don't who they you know they aren't motivated by that sort of thing. Yeah, they're happy doing other things. Yeah, yeah. and they find their. They have their other relationships with uh, demons elsewhere in their lives. But I think, yeah, it was really important for me. And as much as it was difficult, I was so young that it wasn't defining. It was, it was just, it was just hard, but but it it, it wasn't demoralizing. And I still came out of it with that, that kind of shred of naivety to think it is possible. It didn't completely destroy me. I just was like, I've got to work really, really fucking hard. I've got to apply myself. I've got to, you know, make my own opportunities. And that's and that's what I did. And and I think creatively, and I guess it's the same in business as well. 
you try loads of different things. You don't know what's going to work. You just try and you and you have to put as much energy into the things that don't work as the things that do work. And there's no real rhyme or reason as to why one works and one doesn't. It's not about the amount of hours you put in or your belief in a project or anything like that. It's just about what hits. And, you know, I was really lucky that I was 27 when my dad wrote a porno happened, which is still incredibly young to have something that was so seismic in my life and changed my life in so many ways and opened the door to so many opportunities for myself. Um, but I think, you know, you you do have to be ready for that sort of moment as well. It's. I was going to say that I know being being in the state where you were for, for two years and, and stuff is not really pleasant for anyone, mm. right? Being clinically depressed is not... It's I, I definitely feel like there's a lot of listeners who can also relate to that. Yeah. But also what I was hearing from this opportunity mm. was that you got the opportunity to find yourself really early on. Yeah, which absolutely. Was much better than, than for me. I only found myself through failing much later yeah. in my late 20s, early 30s right. um, to then discover my identity properly. So mm. I... I don't know this weird way. I feel like it's a it's such a blessing that you had the opportunity to do it at a young age, and therefore Absolutely. success followed at a young age, right? Yeah, completely. And also, you and know, not everyone gets that. Totally true. And I think for me as well, on a specific level of the success that I have enjoyed, you know, my dad wrote a porno. My dad wrote this book. It was really I was really fortunate that he wrote this book or chose to share with me this book. I don't even know when he wrote it. I'm sorry, writing it for years. Uh, when, he, when, when did you hear his stories about he, this? He, he told me in 2014 was when he oh, kind of okay. shared the book with me. And he was like, I've been writing this in the garden shed. I didn't even know it was porn when he first... I, I just thought he was writing some... No, he was just retired. And I was like, what a great way to spend your time, Dad. Yeah. You go and be creative. You've been a builder your whole life. You've got four kids. You've You've... you've grafted you've put your dreams aside for everybody else it's now your turn oh my god it's porn what the <laughs> hell you disgusting man what, because he was asking to see oh, can you give me some feedback he didn't even ask the... for feedback he just ah. like he's such a troll he just was like I've written this I just sent it to me and then watched me disintegrate into myself <laughs> I feel like I've got the you know he gave you the whole book have, or the chapter? Or? I have the last laugh. He gave me the first three chapters and I was like okay this is and also if you're gonna write it learn to spell do you know what I mean like have some grasp of not only the English language but the female anatomy would be helpful um the thing about that is that he you know if 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 he'd have written that five years even two years earlier I wouldn't have been ready to have taken it to the place that it's taken me and and that's true of James and Alice as well you know we were you know, our 20s were really about honing our individual skill sets and we have very complementary skill sets. It's been really, you know, great for our show. So it's, it, it, I, I just remember thinking, and actually I, I did a talk at my old university the other day to the new students and and I was talking to them about how it can feel like you're just bashing your head against a brick wall for years and you're not achieving anything and you're not learning anything you're just you're you're treading water or you're even going backwards at points and it can feel really suffocating and the self-doubt creeps in but it's only when you come through that that you realize oh my god all of that time I was learning so much about myself and my industry and my craft 
that actually is the reason that you ultimately find success because you wouldn't have been able to do it without all of that work that you put in through all those years. You know, I, I'm acutely aware of that, that my dad wrote a book, Belinda Blink, my dad's book, came into my life at a point where I was ready to, to take it by the reins. <laughs> the reins nothing else <laughs> and um and make it into something else you know what, something what would what do you mean by ready like emotionally creatively, creatively emotionally um technically you know and also you know podcasting was beginning to have its like renaissance and we were very much at the sharp end of that which you know is true of my whole career you know i was at the start of the digital revolution in storytelling of you know, digital content, I, you know, I've been at the forefront of these emerging industries my entire career. And so kind of seeing a potential in a new medium that I thought could tell this story really well was something that I, I wouldn't have known without those years of mm-hmm. struggling in. And now you're the forefront of the podcast industry, right? I've been very lucky that, yeah, our show has been welcomed with such open arms by people and, and yeah and, and we've really grown with the medium which has been really exciting to kind of see how it's evolved and you know and even like shows like this you know it's so wonderful to kind of be a part of new podcasts and see how they're challenging the norms of expectations and like having conversations that are really important to be having that you couldn't have in on tv or in any other medium you know yeah. there's an intimacy to this to this platform that I think is really amazing and that we should try and protect from oh, I love that. the yeah. wider you know corporate interest for as long as possible really I like what you just said especially about protecting the authenticity mm. of it given that you were originally also sharing the story um uh, about how in the creative industry it's all about go 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 mm. it's all you got to make it everything has to be amazing so therefore actually now using the platform to share the failures yeah exactly isn't that the the interesting turnaround and it's so important to know about that it's why this show was appealing for me to do because it's like it's important to for people who see success to know that it's overnight success yeah it's never overnight ever and it's and and, you know i have a really complicated relationship with creative success in fact i was asked to write something for the guardian the other day um because the guardian guide ended which is super sad and they kind of asked a lot of creative people to to talk about how they defined creative success in the 20, in in 2021 and i was and i was just talking about how in today's society we value the perception of success more than being creatively fulfilled you know we don't why does everything that we do have to be seen to be successful even when it's not news baity success too yeah <laughs> right it's right. got to sell headlines right it's like oh yeah. another mark Zuckerberg kind of success yeah as exactly no, all the grinding years that everyone has to go through. And even when you are successful, you know, for me, making my dad write a porno, I find way more creatively fulfilling than being in my dad wrote a porno, being on it. Yeah. You know, people think about the spoils of success and like, you know, the touring and the HBO show and whatever. Like, sure it was fun. Super fun. Yeah. Super anxiety ridden as well. You know, for me, it's about making content and telling stories. Like, that's what I got in this industry for. That's what I am most proud of about My Dad Wrote Porno is that, you know, I edit the show. I I, I craft that into a comedy show that I'm really proud of. 
And that's where I find the fulfillment. Not that people are like, oh my God, you're in my dad wrote a porno. I love it. It's like, well, I, I, I love that you love it. But, but they're appreciating your work. Exactly. And that's, yes. that is yes. for me the most important thing. Because when you're creating something from nothing, you know, you're a creative person and you are imagining something that doesn't exist. And it's your job to weld that into something tangible that people can enjoy. If you can do that with any modicum of success, that's incredible. Like to take nothing and turn it into something, that is everything. That's making an impact. Yeah. Right. And that, that again, coming full circle about you going through, you're living your identity through your work, right? Yeah. And that's why you're feeling so content and complete. Mm. It's because people appreciate your work and therefore appreciate you because yeah. you've worked so hard to put yourself on the map. This is me. This is my identity. And look, I'm shining and people are like that. Yeah. And, you know, and, and to this day, I mean, people come up to me and say, you know, your show's really big. You could hire an editor. You could hire a producer. It's like, no, that's it's why I'm love. doing it. <laughs> I'm literally doing it because I want to make it, not because I want to be, like, successful or famous or whatever else people think you do something for. And I just want, you know, other people out there to understand that success comes in many different guises and it isn't always the way that you perceive it to be. And I actually then wanted to, I mean, we've, we've touched through this quite a lot, like how you define success. Yeah. And also now how I would love to hear it from your words, how you define failure. Because I've kind of used it as a word of opportunity, but I'd love to hear how you see it. I think that failure is, like success, it's completely dependent on your perception of, the, of, of what it is. And success isn't the same for everyone and failure isn't the same for everyone it's like you know you can be hugely successful in in something but if it's not something that you want to do it doesn't have as much value Mm -hmm. and even though somebody else can be there saying oh all I want to be is a is a CEO of a company and they can be jealous of someone who's a CEO of a company but if that person that is a CEO doesn't want to be a CEO and wants to (laughs) you know be skiing in the Alps with their family they're not going to value being a CEO as much as that person that covets being a CEO. So I think it's all completely dependent on your perception of what you want and your perception of success and failure. So for me, failure is just not quite hitting the mark that you expect of yourself. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Mm. And actually, sometimes you need to fail to succeed because they are intrinsically linked, right? Mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. So I think it's a fine line between success and failure for me. Because people talk to me a lot about, you know, the success of Manad Rota Porno. But what they really mean is, God, everyone knows about your show. Yeah. Not... It's fame. Yeah. And that isn't success. No. You know... That's why it's a different word for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. But people kind of confuse the two, don't they? And, yeah. you know, and that, that they think that, you know, that being known as successful is the same thing as being successful. And that isn't necessarily the truth. You know, there mm-hmm. are loads of successful people that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. They're no less fulfilled. They're no... You know, it's it's a it's a complicated relationship, isn't it? And yeah. I, I feel increasingly in our society, we just don't reward or value work. We value results. Yeah. And, and I think that's a shame because, from seeing for myself, you know, the most um, the the stuff that I appreciate the most is the work, not the result of the work. Yeah, because that's the hard that's bit, the hard you know. Part. Yeah. And frankly, you know, it's none of any. It isn't my business what people think about my show. 
it's not my business if you think it's funny, if you think it's not funny. All I can care about is, have I made a show that I'm proud of? Is it well produced? produced. Am I phoning it in? Am I cutting corners? Or am I making sure that it is as good as it can be? Whether you think it's good or not, it's completely your business. It's not mine. And so I have that kind of weird <laughs> relationship with... I have in my downstairs loo, which you've been in, I'm sure you saw, yeah. Like I have my Webby Award, which was a lovely thing to be given. And I have a review... <laughs> from the Sunday Times, um, which was a one-star review that, that uh, called my dad wrote a porno live, uh, quote, the worst cultural event of the decade. And it's framed and it sat next to my webby because neither matter. Yeah. You know, one's lovely to get and one's, I mean, hilarious, but not, you know, the most rewarding. But actually, you can't have one without the other. Someone's going to think you're great. Here's an award. Someone's going to think you're shit. Here's a one-star review. I'm going to trash you. Who cares? Like, do I think I've done a good job? Yeah, I do. I'm proud of my show. That's all that matters. Oh, I love that. I love how self-content and assured mm. you are. Uh, and I felt like you had to go through that journey. But I, I also wonder, like, to the point now, you know, we is opening up and sharing failures and being transparent and honest, is that a luxury only after success? Or do we should we be encouraging more people to open up even before they hit the results, yeah, to I think about the work. Yeah, and I think if I was more honest with having failed or having perceived myself to to have failed, I think I would have been way happier way sooner. Mm. I think I would have been able to pinpoint where my unhappiness was coming from. But you know, it's easy to be wise after the event, and I think there is a certain amount of perspective that you do need in any context whether it's success or failure to really understand what that was because you can go through it and you know and I know that I've kind of done this with the success of when I'd wrote a porno there's been moments when I've kind of slept walked through the process and I've had to stop myself to be like no this will never happen again wake up like that's amazing stop taking it for granted because you can get on a roll and you and things happen around you and it's important to constantly ground yourself to be like hang on that's amazing Mm -hmm you know, we should appreciate that. And when things don't work, be like, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? Let's address that and let's fix it for next time. So I think, yeah, we should always be more self-reflective generally. I don't think that's ever hurt anybody mm-hmm. to to really understand who they are and what they want and why. I think those things are really important, whether you're at the start of your journey or at the end of it. Well, this show is called The Failure Hypothesis. Yes. <laughs> um, I would love to read out The Hypothesis Okay, I'm, I'm intrigued with it because I don't know this. So I've, I, I'm intrigued by this. Okay, so this is the hypothesis that comes out from the show. Okay. Our greatest failures are our most important experiments. Yet emotion often prevents us from examining and learning from these unexpected outcomes. There is constant pressure to celebrate success and hide failure. However, if we practice radical honesty and have the strength to be vulnerable, then we can turn our failures into a secret of our success and help others do the same. Are you a failure hypothesis believer or a skeptic? <laughs> I think I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a believer because, you know, ultimately the failures, when you can confront them and accept them, they make the successes sweeter. Because you've been through, you know, yeah. there's, there's yeah. context with which to it's a compare. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I was there and I'm now here. I know that this one feels better, but I only know how good it feels because I've been there, you know. So, yeah, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that. That hypothesis. I like it. 
Thank you for being a believer and a firm believer on that too. <laughs> get it on a t-shirt. Yeah, exactly. Get it on a t-shirt. <laughs> Quick, guys. <laughs> merch. It's a merch opportunity. Sorry. Constantly branding the show. You, know, you need some merch. You've got to get involved. Yeah. We'll, we'll check out the, the, the notes and the follow-ups after this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but actually, on that note, we've been spending a lot of time talking about your past. Mm. And thank you for sharing about the failure stories. But... I, I can sense it, you know, there's another journey ahead of you. What are you working towards and what's yeah. the fun work that you're getting involved in? There's, there's something really exciting that I can't talk about, which I always used to like laugh at people when they would say that. It's like, I can't talk about it. It's like, why? Just talk about it. But I now realize, oh no, I literally legally, legally can't <laughs> talk about it, which is so annoying. Um, but there's some really exciting stuff that's happening with that. I'm also directing my first musical, which is a huge... <gasps> exciting challenge yeah really I'm a exciting massive musical fan oh so cool you have to let me in oh yeah for sure yeah 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 it's 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 hard it's really hard um and yeah i'm writing a couple of tv projects so you're um you i'm not writing it i'm just directing it so okay. uh there's a writer there's a few writers on it um we had our first script read through the other day with the actors which was really exciting so yeah that's kind of bubbling along i i would like run a cabaret night in london with a friend of mine i'm writing some tv projects i'm yeah i'm busy there's a lot going on it's exciting though you know just any kind of creative endeavor that i can kind of get involved in is is always appealing and what's been great about my dad wrote a porno is it's given me so much time and contacts to explore, explore other, other projects, sides of yeah. my creativity which has been yeah really rewarding so so with so much success uh from my dad wrote a porno. Do you mm. feel like there is actually quite a lot of intense pressure on the next projects that you just mentioned <laughs> going to be a massive success? Um, I mean, yes and no. I think I'm acutely aware that I'll never have another My Dad Wrote a Porno. It's been a, a huge success. There is pressure because obviously, you know, I work in an industry where the mantra is you're only as good as the last thing you did. And that is pressure because you think, you know, you can't some things you can't replicate. But um, the film director Billy Wilder once said that people aren't as good as the last thing they did. A creative person is as good as the best thing they've ever done. And I really subscribe to that. I think he's right. Because if something's good and you're proud of it, it's always good and it should always be your calling card. And no one should ever take that away from you. Exactly, yeah. And you know, and, and, and to be a creative person, you have to have failures. Everyone has failures. Like, you know, you can't please everyone all the time. And I think failures come from risk taking and everyone should take risks. I love it. So thank you so much, Jamie, for being on the show today. And Thanks for, for having me. so radically honest. I didn't cry, which is a good thing. You know, I thought we were well emotional. Season two coming up. <laughs> Jamie crying. I break down because I've lost everything. Well, thank you so much. For, and we will be cheering you on on the sidelines as a Failure Hypothesis alumni. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So thank you. You've been listening to The Failure Hypothesis with me, Vivian Chan. To hear other inspiring stories from unique leaders, please subscribe to The Failure Hypothesis on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
A few months after recording Jamie's interview, the failure hypothesis caught up with him after possibly the biggest night of his career, playing the iconic Radio City Music Hall in New York on the closing night of My Dad Wrote a Porno's second world tour. Right, so, the, uh, here we are in New York, the dust has settled, 24 hours um, and some major hangovers later. Oh my god, I feel awful. <laughs> yeah. I think we all do. Um, New York doesn't sleep, so... And neither do I, apparently. Yeah, no, neither do many of us. So, the reason we wanted to catch up with you in New York was that the aforementioned 24 hours ago, you played Radio City uh, Music Hall, the mm-hmm. iconic um, venue. The culmination, the culmination of a world tour where you've played to 85,000 people. So, the question that I want to ask you is references, been in your episode where you talk about the moment when you looked out of your window and said, I'm literally fucked. And that was not quite to the day a decade ago, but it's roughly a decade ago. A lot has happened in that time. So I wanted to ask, what is your advice to the guy who thought he was fucked when you look out for those thousands of screaming people like you did yesterday? Wow, I mean, that's a big question. And um, I'm still kind of in the process of processing last night and the whole tour, actually. It's been quite an emotional uh, 24 hours. But I think ultimately, and it sounds like such a cliche, but just to hang on in there. <laughs> but not even like in a kind of trite way, in, a, in just a, yeah, these things are going to happen. And actually, they're supposed to happen. No one wants a career that's just... Uh, full of highs like you do need those low moments to really crystallize in your mind what it is that you want to do and what you want to achieve because I think when you're riding high and you've got success not that you take it for granted but it, 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 it's, it's way easier to just kind of zone out of what's got you there and I think it's what gets you there that makes you appreciate it and will get you there the next time so I think with me kind of breaking down in my bedroom yeah 10 years ago well wow. uh i probably would just say yeah this is really bad properly analyze why this has happened learn from it make sure it never happens again and just keep pushing yourself don't let this define you it was like one job who cares you know you'll have a million of them and yeah. make sure that you continue to be creative and have ideas and don't be afraid to put yourself out there and, and even though you know sometimes you'll get knocked back hopefully there'll be with that one thing that you don't get knocked back on and it takes off and you are able to to achieve things that you never even imagined that you could achieve so yeah and what and has this redefined failure for you does this incre- you know the culmination of a world tour still the podcast even the released an episode in quite a while still in the charts yeah this is you know a, a peak moment for you yeah does this has it redefined failure for you does it does it have pressure does it create more pressure for the next project because I know for example it was recently announced that you're directing a, a musical yeah um, does it create more pressure or is it like I've actually got that under my belt and that liberates me now to just have complete creative freedom going forward I think so. I think it's nice to know that you... Well, for you to know in yourself that you can do something and you've 
got a track record and that you've proved Perfect. it. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Um, we're literally getting brunch the day after Radio City. Um, but also for other people to kind of see that you've been able to do something. And I think yeah. all people need is to see that you have delivered and created something that can bring an audience. And, and it's just a good piece yeah. of work. And I think I feel really excited about the next stage of my career, absolutely. And, and you know, and failure is going to be part of it. And there's going to be things that I work on that won't work. And that's fine. I think, I think I'm less afraid of failure now because it really doesn't have to define you. And, and ultimately... You do, it's again, it's a cliche, but you learn so much more from the things that don't go yeah, right I mean, than the things that do. That's what the show's all about. And yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. It was incredible to see you along with the many other thousands there. I can't think of a stronger testament to the power of podcasting as a, as a, as a business, as a creative platform than, than what I witnessed yesterday. So thank you for, for sharing. Thank you for being on the show um, podcast royalty um, <laughs> hopefully the first of many so thank you Jamie well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much thanks and, ho- and uh, if you want to get a laugh Google Radio City Music Ball my dad wrote a porno because we did defile the entire <laughs> midtown this is Manhattan true. As, as, as tweeted by Questlove yeah what the hell is that <laughs> just listen to it Quest <laughs> you'll love it thank you so much thank you for listening to the Failure Hypothesis a Malejo digital production To find out more about making and appearing in business content with interest, visit our website at malejodigital.com.